Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail. First three people that email me um, and just let me know that they listen to Eric Johnson in the book we're discussing, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, a practical and comparative guide to what the Bible teaches by Mr. Eric Johnson. You email me at Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail, and this church will mail you a free copy of this book. It's a book that's needed, I believe, and um, we have Mr. Eric Johnson here for the second half hour, and if, if we don't get enough questions in, we might get him again for a third half hour if he's got the time. But but if not, uh, Eric, just reintroduce quickly, and then we can get into more questions, but sometimes people will listen on the second show and miss the first show. So let them know what God has put on your heart and what you're doing and what this book is about. Well, my name is Eric Johnson, working with Mormonism Research Ministry, a ministry founded in 1979 by Bill McKeever. We have a website, mrm.org. In fact, we have a website for my book, introducingchristianity.com. I invite anybody to go onto the websites there and learn more. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we have a twofold purpose to share the truth with Christians, to be able to help them understand what Mormonism really is all about, and then to be able to uh, help them uh, share their faith. And then second, we do a lot of evangelism. So yeah, you can go to our website, find out a lot there. We have a podcast called Viewpoint on Mormonism that's available there as well. Okay, so I, there's so many questions here, but this is a good one. This is a good one to start the segment. You spent the first two chapters talking about the Bible being special revelation, how the New Testament is trustworthy, how the New Testament is reliable. Now, your book's only 10 chapters long. Don't forget about that glossary. I love that glossary. Your book's only about 10 chapters long. Why did you spend so much time discussing uh, historicity of the Bible when Latter-day Saints use the King James Version as one of their four written scriptures? And that, that's another thing, four written scriptures. We'll get into that. But answer that question, please, Mr. Eric. Yeah, so they do have the Bible uh, as one of their four scriptures, but it has a little asterisk next to it, if you will. Uh, the Bible is true as far as it is translated correctly, according to Mormonism's founder, uh, uh, Joseph Smith. That's Article 8 in the 13 Articles of Faith, and that's found in the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, that, that's one of their scriptures. So the Latter-day Saint is told the Bible is not completely accurate, and they use the word translated. They're not really meaning the word translated. They mean transmitted. They believe there was a great apostasy that took place soon after the death of the apostles and that there was no authority on the earth until the church was restored in 1830 by Joseph Smith when he founds the church with six members. And so the problem that I have when I'm talking to a Latter-day Saint or somebody who's thinking about leaving or somebody who has left is when I cite the Bible and I show them something and they say, well, how do I know that's translated correctly? Which tells me that they're shedding doubt on this because they don't have that full authority. Well, I think when you take a look at all of the evidence for why the Bible should be considered true, 
uh, I think it very clearly shows that this is something that I'm going to need to deal with. And so that's why I spent two chapters. I need to explain the background. If I'm going to have any kind of authority, I have the Bible. That's all I have. If they take that away from me by saying, well, it just contains many precious or heirs that have destroyed the precious truths of what God had intended, then I'm not going to be able to do anything but just give my own mere opinion. But I'm basing my book and my life on God's word. So everything from uh, the way that our manuscripts came down, we have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts, 24,000 total in other languages. Uh, we have so much evidence to go with the New Testament. and the Old Testament, I talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's a very important discovery back in the 1940s to help us see that even the Old Testament is accurate. If these things are true, then the Bible is something worthy to be read. If it's worthy to be read, then I need to believe that it is what God wants me not only to think, but believe and how I'm supposed to act. And, uh, and if that's true, then I need to do what it says. And when you take a look, at what the Bible teaches, Mormonism denies or distorts every fundamental biblical teaching uh, of the historic Christian church. So that's a problem, and that helps us to distinguish between Mormonism and Christianity. Yeah, great point. I, you know, something I, I looked at some of these, I looked at some of these questions, obviously, and I, I teach here in Lagos Christian Academy. They're eighth graders. And okay. I see here, yeah, so I, I, uh, there's a um, Christian academy right here in Casa Grande uh -huh. uh, called Lagos, and I teach eighth graders tomorrow's my, and the, you know, eighth graders can be challenging. That's their last year. Oh, sure. But yeah. here it says you taught high school and college courses for 17 years. Yeah. Until 2010, and used to be in the Bible department, head of Southern California Christian High School, and your favorite mantra to 11th grade students is they needed to quit borrowing their mommy and daddy's faith and instead own their own faith. How does this philosophy apply to the book you have written? That's a great point because I, I see the same thing with these eighth graders. They need to know more. And I think they piggyback more on what their parents know than what they what they should know. And uh, yes, I, I'm with you, uh, Pastor Dominic, on this because, yes, I taught uh, juniors mainly. I taught all grades, um, uh, but uh, 11th grade was my specialty on apologetics. And we were seeing so many students who would leave our school after having had six years of Bible from 7th grade all the way through 12th. And then they were leaving the faith soon after and becoming atheists or agnostics. And it was like, how in the world did this happen? Because these people uh, claim to be Christian. These students claim to be a Christian when they were uh, coming to our school. So we really took a concerted effort. This was about 20, 25 years ago to really help the kids own their own faith. They didn't have, we weren't going to force them on it if they didn't want to be a Christian. We weren't going to make that happen. Uh, 16 year olds are going to do their own thing. But we wanted to give good reasons for why they believed the way they did. In my apologetics class, the first three quarters of the year, we're talking about, do we even know there's a God? Why do bad things happen to good people? Just talking about a lot of things having to do with Christianity. And then the last quarter, what I would do is take them to different religious venues. We uh, The last quarter was on world religions and American religions. I took them to the mosque and let the imam talk to them. I took them to the Mormon Battalion Center in Old Town. Took them to uh, Hare Krishna uh, Temple in Pacific Beach, uh, San Diego. And I let these other uh, adherents tell my kids what they believed. And it was amazing because they were able then, if they knew enough of their Christianity, to be able to say, 
boy, that doesn't sound right. And they were able to distinguish those things for themselves. And that was a big part of what I wanted to do. And it's a big part of what I even do today because I teach high school students across the street from uh, a school here in Utah called Alta High School. And uh, we have Christian students who do a volunteer program one, one day a week. And that's what we're trying to do with them as well. Um, Millet Erickson was one of the books that I, Christian theology, I think I yeah. have it on my shelf. It was one of my, what, did you use that and sit? Was that one? Of I your did. Seminary? I actually, he was the uh, dean of the seminary when I was attending seminary back in the <clears throat> 1980s. And, and I graduated in 1991, but I had the three volume series later, they made it into one. So I think I used the three volume because that's what I had to, to use, but I didn't just use that, um, that particular, uh, uh, systematic theology. I used two others, uh, and uh, Wayne Grudem's, and also John MacArthur's, because I didn't want people to get all caught up in. Well, he's coming from a particular tradition. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted to be so that people would say, "Hey, you know, this is the this is what basic Christianity teaches." And even if, though we might have in-house issues on on some of the things like eschatology or soteriology, as far as you know, the sovereignty of God versus the freedom of man. There's different issues we can get into in-house debates, but I didn't want to get into any of that. I just wanted to present the basic Christian truth that if you go to your church or you go to the church down the street, you'll hear those same things. And I mentioned that to you when we were off the air, how you used, you know, whether if somebody's Arminian, somebody's reformed or whatever, yeah. you, you just wanted the information to be out there. But again, listen, guys, this is a good read. It's a textbook at times. It gives you terms. But I'm looking here at um, 98, 99, and 100, which you're shaking your head. You must know what's on those. The, the tables. Yes, right? uh, you yes. Got, you got these wonderful tables. There are charts on 98 uh, through 100 that contrast the differences that we can reference about uh, communicable attributes, supporting verses, Christianity, Mormonism. See, this stuff, like, really, think about if somebody wants to come to the door. You can, by just looking at these terms here, you're able at least to interact. This is why this is gold. Um, and I want you to talk about a little about these tables. Again, like the glossary, the, this, this table is, is, I believe, gigantic. Because if you may not have time to read the whole book, but if you're saying, you know what, you know, maybe I can engage with, but if you just read this, you can summarize the biggest difference between Mormonism's view of God and what is taught in the Bible in a quick way. This table is gold, really. Yeah, uh, th these tables uh, I put together because I'm not going into a deep detail about what Mormonism teaches. We have another book Bill and I wrote with Baker Books back in 2015 called uh, Mormonism 101. That would be a better book if you just wanted to compare the doctrines. My main purpose in this book is to present Christianity, but you can't present Christianity without knowing something, for instance, about who God is. In fact, I quote Millard Erickson, a systematic theology uh, professor, and he said, theology is important because correct doctrinal beliefs are essential to the relationship between the believer and God. One of these beliefs deals with the existence and character of God. So what I did is I used Bible references to say, you know, uh, here's what the different uh, communicable and incommunicable attributes of God are. And then let's take a look at Mormonism and Christianity, what their different versions are. And you asked that question, what's the main difference in a nutshell? It's the idea that God 
was once a man who lived in another realm, according to Mormonism. He lived as a human. He may he probably was a sinner who uh, died. Oh, that's that's blasphemous, but that's what Mormonism teaches, that he had worshipped a previous God, and then that God had worshipped a previous God before him, but somehow he was good enough to become the God of this universe where he was able to get married uh, with his wife and have actually multiple wives. Polygamy is in heaven, and uh, th that's a much different sounding God than what John four says uh, we must uh, God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and truth doctrine and covenants one of the scriptures of Mormonism section 130 verse 22 says that God has a body of flesh and bones this is opposite the Bible says that God is from everlasting to everlasting he always has been God that's Psalm 92 which coincides with the Book of Mormon Moroni 818 uh, uh, Christians believe that there uh, that God does not know of any other God, uh, Isaiah 43.10. And he says, there are no gods before or after me, Isaiah 44, 6 and 8. So just a few verses, you could really, you really need to understand who God is if you want to have a conversation with the Latter-day Saint, because he believes in God, but his version of God is not the same as Christianity's. You know, I said this book, really had everything. We talked about the glossary. We talked about the charts. We talked about, um, I kind of really liked your, uh, I want to make sure I get my notes right. I liked your conversation with Dave. That was interesting, right? With the Dead Sea Scrolls and then um, the artifacts and things like that. But then I said, the book is a little theological and you, and you talked about a topic, a very easy topic, the Trinity, that's an easy topic. <laughs> right, Mr. Eric? That's yeah. a that's a simple topic, isn't it? But yeah. but you did you did address, I think in chapter seven, um, concerning the Trinitar the Trinitarian God that we worship in spirit and in truth. And I don't know, um, because I didn't get to chapter seven yet. So is the obviously the Mormons believe in a different type of trinity is that is that fair to say or well they, they really don't believe in the trinity as we would say because according to christianity on page 161 i write down the main points of what the trinity is we believe there's one eternal god and i give verses to support that we believe the father is god 100 percent god we believe the son is god he's 100 percent god and 100 percent man that's called the hypostatic union that's yes. part of the theology we're talking about yes number four the spirit is god and the number five the father is not the son or the holy spirit the son is not the father or the holy spirit the holy spirit is not the father and the son well so, well said very succinct but well said really very yeah succinct. and 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 that's what i mean if, if you can understand there are, as James White puts it, uh, he's a theologian that lives in your state. Uh, there are three who's and one what? Three who's, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are not each other, but they're all fully with the essence of God uh, from eternity, from all eternity. And, and so, yes, it's a complicated topic. And a lot of Latter-day Saints, they hate the Trinity. They think that what we believe is, uh, we're saying that God the Father is the Son, is the Holy Spirit. And they'll say, well, who, who did Jesus pray to in the Garden of Gethsemane? And the answer is he prayed to the father. 
because he is not the father, but he, he had humbled himself. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, according to Philippians 2. We believe that Colossians 2.9, the fullness of deity lives in Jesus. So Jesus humbled himself, according to Philippians 2, it's called the kenosis, so that he might be able to take on uh, the flesh. Uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could he could, in fact, it says that Jesus has, has had every temptation that we have had. I mean, that's pretty amazing when you think about how God considered it so important to have, have that um, a future atonement. When he came, he came for the sole purpose of, of dying for sins so that we might be able to have the eternal life. And Hebrews says that Jesus fulfilled all that the temple had all of the sacrifices and all the prophecies. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. So no, Mormons don't believe in the Trinity like that. They believe the Father is the main God of this world. He's the one we're supposed to worship. We don't worship Heavenly Mother, even though there is a Heavenly Mother, blasphemous to the Christian. Uh, they, they also would say that uh, Jesus, I guess you would say Jesus is a God. Uh, to put it simply, he's a God. He is not to be worshiped, but you do pray in his name. He uh, never had to go through a mortality like we have to, but, uh, but he is our brother. He's a spirit brother of Lucifer and us as well. That's very clearly taught in Mormonism. And so, so you have that. The Holy Spirit is not even a person, but it's kind of a force. And, and so uh, they, they don't believe that you would have anything to do as far as prayer or worship to the, the Son and, or, or the Spirit, but only God the Father. So uh, you, the best it would be called maybe uh, uh, a tritheism. They believe in three separate gods. In fact, they believe that men can become gods in the next life and that yes, there were previous yes. gods before God. Yes. If you don't want to call that polytheism, the best you could call it would be henotheism. The idea that there's only one true God that we worship, but there are the existence of these multiple gods. Christianity doesn't believe that there are true gods out there. Uh, there's only one God and any, anything else that's called a God is a false God. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at some of the questions. Chapter 10 is titled Growing in Faith. In the preview paragraph, you say that being a Christian is not a passive experience. I like this. You also talk about the importance of finding a church to attend and become active in it. Why do you think this is important? Now, this is, listen, this is a huge thing, especially how impersonal the world has got with, with COVID and stuff and, and things like that. I mean, one thing I always say, Satan is impersonal. God is personal. And I think today with all these, you know, TV preachers and stuff like that, you know, we've become so impersonal. And I like when I see chapter 10 is going to talk about, you're going to encourage people, go find the church, go be with the people of God. This is the way God has ordained it. And another point is, I don't know how the Mormons could read Hebrews and come up with <laughs> the stuff that they talk about, but Hebrews yeah. is so, but like, and you, you brought that up, obviously. But tell me, encourage people why they need to find a church and be in part of a church. I think that's, I think that needs to be taught more behind the pulpit today. I, I agree. Um, the thing is, we're a parachurch organization, 501c3. 
we're our own entity. We're not necessarily affiliated with a particular church, even though Bill and I, we actually go to two different churches and that's great. I, I like the idea that we're spread out a little bit. And, and so this, this is something that I think a lot of people, after they leave Mormonism, maybe become Christian, but they don't want to go to church because maybe they feel like, oh, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. Do I have to do that? I like Sundays off. Here's the thing. The Bible says that we're not supposed to stop meeting together. We're told that uh, we are responsible as believers to align ourselves with a local congregation because I can't do everything that you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to teach them weekly. You're going to be able to get them involved in discipleship kinds of uh, situations. You're going to be able to, when, when they fall down, you, your people are going to know when that happens, whether it's sickness or maybe they, they're thinking of leaving the faith. Your people are the ones who know them by name. I don't know them by name. Uh, they're responsible to do that to, uh, to, so that uh, they can grow in the faith. And then they're also responsible for personal discipleship. Pastor Dominic, I, I have not heard you preach, but I'm sure you do a great job. But if that's all they're getting, 45 minutes every Sunday, and they're not opening their Bible the rest of the week, they're not going to be growing. They need to get into God's Word. They need to understand prayer and the power of prayer. They can't just have the pastor stand up front and do a prayer every Sunday. This is something, I, I call it, it's a passionate pursuit, because if you think Christianity is sit on the sidelines and do nothing— then you haven't read the Bible because that's not how any of the disciples handled it. They were out and about and they were doing their best to help themselves grow as well as getting other people to grow. So I encourage anybody in Arizona uh, who doesn't have a church home, they, you know, you they should uh, consider your church or if it's not your church, just find a church, but make sure they're teaching the Bible that they're not just giving a bunch of platitudes every week, doing topical sermons on how, you know, how you can be, uh, whatever, you know, how to's are okay, but it needs to be centered on God's word. I like expository preaching where you go right from the word of God. And that is, I think, important for anybody who's looking for a church. And not only that, something else you said, every time, not every time, but most times when I'm behind the pulpit, I said, you guys need to be good Bereans. Listen, I want you to listen to me, but you need to check out what I say. Mm -hmm. You need to go yourself, and then we can have a conversation. Um, Man, okay, so we got four minutes left. You need to let us know where to get this book, what we can do, what website we can visit, um, because I don't want to, I don't know if you have enough time for another segment. Um, I can, sure. Okay, so so, well, let's save that. Let's save that because this is enjoyable. Let's do another segment. You know what? Preach to us for three minutes. Talk to us. Go back to that topic, and I'll, I'll let you know when there's 30 seconds. Tell us why it's important to find a good church. Can you go on that again? Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's important because Christian studies have been done, and somebody who's not affiliated and growing in a church they're not going to be able to do that on their own because having a little home thing with your family or something, that's wonderful. In fact, the Mormons have that weekly. It's called Family Home (laughs) Evening. I think you should study the Bible together, but there's not accountability. See, I think that's what you're offering, Pastor Dominic. You're offering somebody the chance to grow in their faith and to be available to be corrected because that's what the Bible says we're supposed to have. The Word of God is, uh, is helping us to be able to be taught 
to be corrected, to be rebuked, and be, to be trained in righteousness. Why? So that we can be equipped to be able to do those works. The church is made that way. And so you don't, you're not a Christian because you go to church. You go to church because of what Jesus has done for you, and you want to do what he says. You don't want to stop meeting together. So I think it's pretty clear cut. Unfortunately, you're right, COVID. COVID has really hurt the Latter-day Saints because many of they, they stopped having church for nine months. And many of their people left because they found out they liked having Sundays off. But, you know, it's not about having Sundays off. It's about what is most important in your life. And we can know what the priorities are in your life by how you spend your time. And on Sunday, like, you know, is it just about watching 10 hours of football, you know, and just, uh, you know, just doing your own thing? Or is it about serving God, worshiping him and and learning more about him to grow? So I, I think this, for me, there's there's no doubt that unless you're involved in a Christian church, that you're just going to flounder as a Christian believer. I can see I'm, I'm coveting my brother's books in the background, but that's a, but that's a, is that, a, is that, a, is that a, those real books or is that a picture? Uh, oh no, those are real books. No, no, so yeah. am I, but that's a great, that's a great commentary. Oh, is that old Testament and new te- uh, commentary series? The, the one, yeah, the, 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 the one in the middle there is paperback. That's old yeah. Testament. Oh, they're great. Yeah. They are. Yeah. They are great. I got, I got a bunch of them here too. Okay. So, um, man, Eric's coming back. So I'm excited. So here's what we're going to do. Let me close off Street Talk Theology. Pastor Dominic Romaldi, we got another segment with Eric. Uh, and I am excited myself because this is uh, great. You know, when two people just get along, so praise the Lord. Street Talk Theology, we take theology and bring it to the streets. See you next time. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.